Edition of the Roar of the Lions UK podcast, episode 127. John, but not forgotten. This is the mini pod episode. If you haven't got the time to listen or watch the main podcast, this is a quick bite-sized piece about what we talked about earlier on this week. Just quickly, don't forget our Discord channel, our college football podcast, Lions Nation Unite, and we're a teacher affiliate as well as liking and subbing and racing and all that good stuff. Let's get on with this. Just a quick bit of news that we really want to address, and that's the, the retirement of two players. One, Jermaine Waller, the UDFA this year, the cornerback from Virginia Tech, but also a podcast favourite, the nose tackle John Penasini has retired. He hadn't turned up to camp or OTAs. The 2020 sixth-round pick played through injury most of his Lions career, despite playing every single game he was eligible to do so. He had calcium deposits on his arms last season, the size of softballs, wasn't able to raise them, above his shoulders, played through extreme pain, put his body on the line for this team. And I, for one, I'm really sad he's gone. And Yeah, um, I'd say I'm, I'm really, really sad to see this has happened. Um, you know, you, you see a lot in the media about how, you know, players are bad towards their teams and they're entitled and privileged and all this sort of stuff. But you never hear about the other way around when teams do dirty to the players. And John Penasini was done dirty by this team, specifically Matt Patricia from the last regime, made him play through his entire rookie season whilst he was injured, just like Jeff Akuda, thinking about his own job, not about his players' welfare. And despite that, despite being a sixth round pick, despite playing through the pain, this man came on worked his ass off, got his reps up in the team, got into a rotational spot when no one thought he would and actually played pretty well for us. And, you know, he's become he's become loved by a lot of fans. And it's really sad to see that this injury has, has got the better of him. Maybe if during his rookie season he'd been shut down sooner, the surgery had been done sooner, he might have reconsidered it. But obviously it's a big pain for him. And um, I don't blame him in the slightest. He's the absolute model professional, what you want out of a player, especially a late-round draft guy. He came in, he did what he needed to do, worked his ass into the ground to earn his spot, and he quite rightfully earned the place he had here. And to see him go is incredibly sad. So I wish him all the best for the future and hope that whatever he does, he's very successful in. And one last time, I'm going to say a big fuck you to Matt Patricia. You said his name, so there we go. Uh, Inside the Den episode four also dropped this week. Uh, Detailed the lines behind the scenes during this year's draft process, including top 30 visits, combine visits, and then how it went down in the draft and post-draft interviews and what have you. What did you make of it, Inside the Den is basically like an audio version of Kool-Aid. You know, you chug it in with your eyes, you get really excited and really amped up and ready to go. Um, but, you know, there's a reason it's Kool-Aid. It's because at the minute, it's the time of the year, they're amping us up, but words are words, actions are actions. It was very good to see that they got the guys they wanted in the draft. They seem to have a draft strategy available. They seem to get the players when they wanted them, maybe even later than when they wanted them, though this is good to see. And I'm quite happy that they were able to do what they did. 
But now the work starts on the pitch to see whether this draft is going to be a success or not. So while I loved the show and I was amped up for it, even though it was one in the morning, it is followed by a bit of trepidation that like, right, let's keep grounded and see what these players are going to do now. They've got to walk the walk after talking the talk. I mean, for me, I was just super pumped watching it. I mean, there is obviously this narrative that they want to show off that the guys they picked are people that they were kind of targeting before it actually happened. And, you know, obviously there were probably loads of guys that the, they were mentioning all the way through and there were guys that they missed on. There were guys that they really didn't like and didn't want to reveal it. So I feel like the narrative is very, very carefully picked. But having said that, despite the manicuring of the, of the video, it still got me hyped. I'm ready to run a, through a wall supporting this team. Go and tell your friends, if they do not have a team yet, that the bandwagon is about to leave the station, you do not want to get on it once it has departed. You will not find us so willing to take you on. Get on now when it is looking a bit tough and you will be rewarded with a fantastic journey from here on out. Let's uh, just talk quickly about the fact that on our main podcast earlier on this week, uh, we did have Logan... um, Lemorandier, Lemorandier from Sports Illustrated All Lions. We talked to him for about 30 to 40 minutes about his career, the Lions last year and this, the drafts, the expectations for the coming year. It was a really, really interesting interview and a bit of a coup for us to get him on. Yeah, uh, we're ticking off the list of guys over there now that we've not had. It's getting very low, thankfully. So, yeah, he was he was very lovely to talk to, and you should go and see it if you uh, if you get the opportunity. It's it's nice for us to be able to do these interviews and spice things up a little during the off season. Yeah, he's very knowledgeable about what he does, about college game, about all this. So, yeah, he's always worth a listen. Right, let's dip into our Detroit Lions All Decade Team 2010. To 2019, we are only considering the play in those years. If you had a fantastic career before or after, not relevant. This this decade's play only. So we're talking about who me, Ant and Ryan on the main podcast all picked. Quarterback, there was only one name on the list. So other quarterbacks did have little bits and pieces here. And they're the only guy to actually start a season uh, properly with Sean Hill. Um, apart from Stafford, but really didn't make it onto the list for us. Matthew Stafford, the unanimous choice, Anne. Yeah, it's kind of like a, a placid version of Highlander, whereas instead of like Highlander having loads of opposition to go around and kill so that there could only be one, Matthew Stafford was just born on his own. He was the only immortal guy, and he won without having to try. So, yeah, we will always love Matt. He was a wonderful servant to uh, this franchise. And while some people will always try and drag his name down, we know him as the great quarterback that he is and forever will be. So, yeah, there was there was no competition here at all. Moving on to running back. We're only choosing one running back, one tight end, three wide receivers, just to let you know on this offense. The choices were not the best. They only played for a couple of years here and there, bar one or two. But we actually ended up settling on Joik Bell. We did, yes. So, I mean, running back is one of those positions that's been, let's face it, atrocious for the Lions in the 2010s. There's There's been a lot more bad guys than there have been good round here. But, you know, there were a few lights of inspiration here. And actually, when Joik Bell 
and Reggie Bush were playing in this team together because Reggie was the other guy we took into consideration. We actually had quite a dynamic tandem. They were, I think it was in 2014, they were the only pair of running backs in the NFL who both had 500 yards rushing and 500 yards receiving in the league that year. They were a very good tandem between them. Reggie had the 1,000-yard season, but Joyt did it over a few more years because I personally voted for Joyt Bell. Um, I just thought the longevity kind of just got it for them there a little bit because you, you do need to take a bit of longevity into a guy. You don't really want to hit one season wonders in this, but it was very close. Um, but yeah, Joyt Bell for me was a worthy, a worthy winner of this. And, you know, just thinking about the running backs, it, it makes me sad what could have been for so many of these guys because there was so much potential amongst Lions running backs in the 2010s and very little of it sadly got realised. Yeah, absolutely. Missing out in this list, Best, Bush, Riddick, Johnson and LaShaw as well is in there, of course, too. So uh, a gallery of players of what might have been. Wide receiver is a lot tougher. There were five names of the three that needed to be picked and the two that missed out, I feel really bad about, man. But the three that were picked were Megatron, Calvin Johnson, Marvin Jones and Kenny Golladay. Missing out on a tiebreak was Golden Tate, but not getting a vote was Nate Burles. I mean, this is um, this is a very very strong unit. It is, it really is, and at the end of the day, it just comes down to who was the best out of them all. Like I say, Nate Burleson was a very good wide receiver for the Detroit Lions, but for me, the others just had that little bit more to them as they were going along. And you know, personally, people might be surprised if we put Kenny in. Maybe, but for me, what put Kenny over some of the others is Kenny was our guy. He was our drafted guy who came in as a later round rookie. He had a really good rookie season and he puts up back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons. And for me, after Megatron was the most competitive guy when it came to contested catches, to really getting down and dirty with things, he was the best guy out of the lot of them. And his production was consistently good. And I ignore the stuff about what happened at the end of his career because, quite rightly, he, he turned a contract down, betting on himself one more year, going to get elite receiver money, 20 million plus. If he'd have had another 1,000-yard season, he'd have been worth that. Sadly, the injury happened. It didn't pay off. I don't hold that against Kenny. He was one of our own. We grew him ourselves. Really good production. I'm not going to hold that. So that's fine. Tate, I'm disappointed Tate missed out because, as we said on the main pod, best hands in of all these guys maybe after the catch absolutely amazing what he could do with the football on there and we were blessed to have it but Marvin Jones was also very very you know worthy of this we were fortunate to have some great receivers in this decade and any day if you pick any of those five guys in there I would not complain so I mean if you have a look at Kenny Golladay in the 20 up to 2019 era that last year, those last two years, both 1,000-yard seasons, 11 touchdowns in that final season. I mean, the injury in 2020, the way he left, people forget that in 2020, we legitimately were all talking about whether we would tag him for the value of like $18 million or whatever, or $17 million, and would he be worth that? Now, we ultimately didn't. But the fact that it was a very, very serious conversation with a lot of people saying that we wanted to tag him, and now the narrative changes because he had a bad season with the Giants. Well, he was absolutely game-breaking on that 
right-hand side with Stafford coming up and, and chucking bombs to him. Like, he he gave defences absolute fits. The reason I think Jones gets in ahead of him is because, one, he didn't leave that sour taste in the mouth, and I just think that just makes everyone feel better about it. But Jones was so consistent, especially when he was asked to be the guy. Like, someone that you wouldn't have thought could possibly do that in his arsenal, because he really is a wide receiver too, right? But when he had to be a wide receiver one, he did turn up and make big plays. He was so consistent down the field. He wasn't the fastest guy, but he made it happen time and time again. Golden Tate, I feel so bad about, because he was one of my favourite lines ever. I actually can't believe he's not in, but you can't leave out Megatron. And I couldn't bring myself to leave out Kenny Golladay or Jones. So I think it's a you know, with Jones, it's a sentimentality. People were very attached to him. Very, very attached to him. I think more so than a lot of these other guys. But again, you know, the thing for me, I I, I, I like the fact that Kenny was homegrown with us. He came in and just balled out from minute one. He he had a better rookie year than Amon Ra did, and we're all raving about Amon Ra and what he could do. But, you know, Kenny had a great year there. So, yeah, I found it difficult, but I, I, I like it when you home grow your own players for me. I think that's just what tips it a little bit. But, again, we're nothing about Nate here. We love Nate Burleson. And any other day he'd be in this team. So, Right, tight ends. There were a few names on this list. All first rounders, too. But we ended up going with Brandon Pettigrew, drafted the year before this era, but played... Nine, 2009 to 2015, with some really good stretches in there. He had uh, three uh, three years of 500 yards or better, and in the four-year four, get, four stretch of 10 to 13, broke 2,000 yards in an era where we didn't really utilize tight ends as much as we could, And Yeah. Um, like you say, he had a 500-yard season. He had two 700-yard seasons, and this is when you're playing with Megatron. Megatron, who hogs the targets, who gets all the yardage, for him to be able to put up 2,000 yards in three seasons and be averaging four touchdowns a season as well, I'd take that. Maybe first round you'd expect maybe a little bit more, but the productivity was good. He was a good player. He was an underrated blocker as well. I liked his blocking ability. So for me, this one was pretty easy uh, to vote him in because, you know, we had the biggest bust of the decade otherwise than that. And then TJ only had one year in this decade and his first year was hit and miss, let's per se. So um it was uh, it, it was pretty easy. This one Pettigrew was there, and 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 I think he'd have been in this anyhow. I think it would have taken a lot to supplant him. It's quite amazing to me that that Ebron actually the year he ended up leaving us got thirteen touchdowns in the season of the Colts. But we've yeah, lost he... a lot of tight end talent. You know, we we gave Robert Tonyan away. We gave Logan Thomas away. Both who've been highly productive in Green Bay and Washington, respectively. We've we've just severely messed up with tight ends over the years. But like you say, we've we've not utilised them correctly, um, whereas the teams have. So yeah. it's a matter of what could have been with the tight ends in the last decade. Moving on to the offensive line, the left tackle has been chosen as Taylor Decker starting in 2016. I know, though, that he was not your choice, Ant, because you went for... Jeff Backus. So this this was actually a tough one because we had Jeff Backus, we had Riley Reef, and we had Taylor Decker. Obviously, Riley was no slouch at left tackle, but he wasn't the first round pick we invested in him. Uh, whereas Taylor 
was more so than that. But for me, I know Bacchus only played two years and he was at the tail end of his career. There, three years, sorry. And he was at the tail end of his career, but he was still playing well up to that point. And this is a guy who represented the Lions for 12 years with distinction on some bad offensive line and really played well. And even in those last few years, he was really good. And, you know, for me, Decker, everybody knows I was never sold on Decker to start with. I know he had a really good rookie year, but then the inconsistency he was getting beaten a bit too much. We were having a big argument about when it came to paying him, whether it was worth it or not. And that was at the latter end of this decade. Since then, obviously, he's proved all of us who doubted him completely wrong and has been worth it there. But I just feel like the vast majority of the play in this decade is not Bacchus worthy. Um, so I took him, but I'm not going to complain. Taylor Decker now is a top 10 left tackle in the league, and to have one of those is rare. So I'm, I'm going to enjoy him now while I can. But I do feel sorry that Jeff missed out. Yeah, I, I think the thing with Decker is that he had his good rookie year, two down years, but redeemed himself in 2019 to put himself in the frame for that new contract. Now, I think people looked at the two down years and the two up years and said, his most recent three years, he's had two bad years and rebounds. Is can you trust the rebound? Clearly, like you said, he proved that you could. I think, though, that those two really good years were better than any other two years from any of the other guys on that list. The other guy in between was Riley Reef, who obviously has had a very good career, actually, wherever he's been. He was good for the Lions, he was good for Minnesota. So, yeah, I feel bad that Reef and Backers miss out here, but Decker's the guy. Moving on to left guards, a few interesting names here, but unanimously we went for Graham Glasgow. Um, yeah, I, I I was not a party to this really. The guards were a tough one here. Um, like I said, I, I I was never the biggest fan of Glasgow. I was glad that we didn't pay him all that money that Denver did, and he went on board. You know, offensive line has been a struggle for us for many many a year, um, and guard is like one of the reasons why. You know. We again, we spent a lot of capital on some of these guys. We bought in Lake and Tomlinson. He struggled massively, and then he left, and then he became a brilliant guard out of nowhere. It's just a shame Hank Fraley couldn't get his hands on him. But you know, Glasgow was the best of a bad bunch, and he was decent. Don't get me wrong, but I prefer my guard to be of a higher caliber for an old decade team. But as you'll see with some of these areas, um, not necessarily all are fully deserving of an old decade appearance. I love Graham Glasgow. I think he just dependably went about his business. He didn't hear about him very much because he didn't really do very much wrong. And that's the best thing I can say about our offensive line. So there we go. Fair. Moving on to centre. This was perhaps my hardest decision of the lot. I'm going to say all three names because I feel bad for all of them. Dominic Raiola, 2010 to 14 in this stretch, but played from 2001. Travis Swanson from 14 to 17 and Frank Ragnall, 18 and 19 stretch. We all went unanimously for Riola, a franchise legend, you know, played for the team for 14 seasons. I don't think he missed a game. I think you said before the show he didn't miss a game. I can't remember. No, he never, he never had serious injury. I think he missed the odd game here and there, but he is the only outfield player who's not a special teamer to play over 200 games for the Lions. I think you said it was 219 that he played altogether. And this was a guy, it wasn't like he was a soft center. This was a guy who was physical, who was violent. He got he got penalized a lot of times for dirty hits, low blows, arguing, you know, and that sort of style to be able to um, 
stay injury free for most of his career says a lot about him. And again, he was sort of an anchor to a line that was never given a lot of treatment around him. Obviously, when him and Bacchus are in there, it's kind of like Decker and Ragnow now, but the other three guys just used to be pretty bad all the time. But Raiola himself was, oh, he was he was aggressive, he was gritty, he's exactly what you wanted there. And uh, I think he, he was worthy of this. Um, obviously, Ragnow now, we would say, probably one of the best centres alliance I've ever had. And, and that is right, but as was rightly pointed out to us when we started, he started off at left guard. And then he's moved into centre. Had his growing pains in his first year at centre, which takes him up to the end of the 20s. But since then, he's just been a man monster. And he's already cemented himself as the best centre of the 2020s. We're not going to have a better centre ever than Frank Ragnow, I believe. Uh, but for the last for the last decade, Raiola is just he's the epitome of a Detroit Lion. And he played like it. So for me, I found this one pretty, pretty easy. But again, I love all, all the guys on there. Right guard was difficult. Larry Warford eventually got it unanimously, but over TJ Lang and Stephen Petterman. Um, Warford, a guy who came in, was dependable, had the odd mistake, but, you know, was was the best of a, a bad bunch, really. TJ Lang came in with high expectations, and his play maybe wasn't that bad at all, but just wasn't quite as good as it was being sold to us. And he retired prematurely off the back of play that deteriorated fast. Yep, and that was when the red flags should have gone up about Bob Quinn and the contracts he was giving out to players, especially older ones. I think that was one of the first deals he did, and he just, like you said, he vastly overpaid for him. And we just never got our money's worth out of it, so it was a shame. He probably played a lot better than most of the guards who have for the Lions in the 2010s, but again, it was one year, and value for money was just poor as out, so nay. All right, and right tackle, another list of not Yeesh. great right tackles, but we ended up taking Gosda Cherellis. Um, yeah, I'm just at the point now where I'm going to say, yeah, yeah, I'm going to hand this one over to you because I don't know enough. I really don't know enough to uh, some of these guys. I mean, me, I'd have picked Terrell Crosby, and he was a backup swing tackle during the 2010s. It was, it was a rough, it was a rough decade for tackles. Obviously, Ricky Wagner went on and was really good with the Packers, but he was never that guy for us. And you kind of just feel like, why didn't we never invest really heavily in a right tackle during this decade? Because as we've shown, for the start of it, we had a great left tackle and we had a great center, but we never fixed that third part of it. Not like mm. we do now with Panay Sewell. You know, we yeah. never, we never sorted it. So, Cherylus, 17th overall in the 2008 draft, so our first-round pick. Um, didn't miss many games at all, missed, missed five games in his five years with us. He went out and he did his job well, but he just wasn't... He wasn't a game-breaker. He was just merely a uh, league-average right tackle. So, But league-average right tackle beats Waddle, Wagner, and Crosby. So, he's in. That, that, that's as simple as my process is for this one, really. Yeah. Yeah. Right, let's... Agreed. Sorry? Agreed. Yeah. Let's move on to the defense. Defensive tackle was actually fairly easy in the end. I have my one crush that I miss out on, but we chose Ndomakan Sue and Nick Fairley, that dream team tandem from 2011 to 2014. Fairley never quite 
lived up to the hype and expectation, but probably was the second best guy on this list. I personally went for Halosi Nata. I just was enamored with the guy, one of the nicest guys on the roster, gave everything was nasty in the same way that Dom Raiola was nasty, but perhaps didn't quite play for the Lions enough to actually get the nods. And Sue and Fairley, big, big names. Oh, yeah. Um, I think Fairley gets unfairly treated sometimes. Sorry, I didn't mean to make that point. I just realised it as I was saying it. But, you know, when we had Sue and Fairley here, we had a great run defence, something we have not had for years and years and years. You say what you like about him, but those two stuffed the run. And that was back when our defence was pretty good because we stopped teams running, so they had to start throwing. And they were throwing against some decent DBs. And back when we had some good linebackers as well. And that's what made our defense tick was them guys on the front line. And I just I just like Fairley and Sue as the pairing. In their prime, they'd still walk into this team. They'd have walked into this team every single year since they left. So, you know, that for me, that's an all-decade type player right there. And I, I miss them both. But I'm hoping now that we've got some good defensive tackles in and we'll see the rise of the new pairings. But, um, yeah. Uh, these two, this was fairly simple for me. I get what you're saying um, with your other pick, but um, I, I, I'm with Ryan. He was sort of on the downside of his career when he came here, and he was all right, but I just preferred fairly. Moving on to the defensive end, edge players, we took, this is a bit rough, we ended up taking Chris Averill and Ezekiel Answer. There was a big push late on to go for Anthony Zeta. Yes, there was. And, you know, maybe we were rightly talked out of it. I don't know. I mean, obviously, we went Cliff Averill. He was on the latter end of his career again, 2010 to 2012. But he was a damn... No, good... no, no. Oh, no, start, not the latter. Start of his yeah, career. Started, no, no, no. Sorry. But he was a damn good player. Damn, damn, damn good player. And everyone was devastated when he left, as you said on the pod. Could we have resigned him? Possibly not, given how he talks about us. But you know, feel like we should have made more of an effort to keep him. And then after he went, we just did nothing for so many years about the edge position. And it's crazy. You know, it's one of the most important in football and we neglected it for the best part of a decade. Obviously, Zeke answer. Me and Ryan are not sold because of the injury history and because it, you just every time you needed him, he wasn't there. But you did raise a point that his first few years, he was relatively healthy. He put up good numbers so he probably does get him in here but just again when you really needed him he wasn't there and it's just disappointing I think I think it's more just disappointment more than anything and kind of it's like people forget the record because of the disappointment but and then outside of that like say yeah we tried to get Zettel in this was a one-hit wonder but sadly for edges one-hit wonders are eligible for this group because there are not many there. We, we had Romeo Aquara in, but we all know that Romeo's first few years here were quiet. He had the one breakout year in 2020. That's when we paid him. But the first couple, because we got him from the Giants where he'd done nothing and he took his time to acclimatise. So you can't have him. And there's, there's precious few other people here. So, yeah, it did. It was horrible looking at this list and trying to pick people, but hey-ho. We did have two decent ones in the end. A, he a healthy Zeke answer was an absolute menace, and people forget just how good he was, and that is what led to the disappointment. A 14-and-a-half sack season 
does not come around every day. It really doesn't, especially if you're if you're the Lions. And that was only one season, but he had multiple years of seven sacks or better. And, you know, that's way more than we've ever had in that stretch. So answer was not just a guy I needed to be in here. He wasn't my edge two. He was my edge one. Avery was the consensus guy. But answer, yeah, it was disappointing the way it ended. We tagged him twice, I think, too, to try and keep him around, to keep him healthy. But it never happened for him. And it was just sad the way it ended. But the way it ended is kind of similar to the way that Galladay ended in that he just left a sour taste in the mouth. Like the feeling about it. And that's why people are down on Galladay too. So, you know. Yeah. There we go. Anyway, let's move on to linebackers. We chose unanimously DeAndre Levy and Stephen Tullock. But there was also to hear Whitehead in there as well, Devon Kennard. Two players who had their moments in our Lions uniform. Well, let's put it this way. During the entirety of the 2010s, we only had two decent linebackers who were here for any amount of time, and that was Tullock and Levy. So this was never a competition. Um, linebackers another position with the Lions that's been disgustingly ignored over the years. And I know people are long, linebackers aren't that important or anything anymore. They are. You need a good linebacker in every now and then, and it's... Even to this day, we've ignored the position. It's it's terrible, and it needs it needs addressing. But Levi and Tullock are worth their weight in gold to this team because they were great. They were great players, and I know it may be judging them against far less, far more inferior players around there. But still, on their day, they were very good linebackers, and that you know they, they were the obvious candidates for me. There was no one else here. Whitehead, yes, fine, tackle machine, but. You just need something more than tackles when you're a linebacker. You need something a little bit more to really stand out, and he never had that. So I'm happy with the two we picked, but again, they're really the only two we could have picked. Cornerbacks, we went with Rashawn Mathis, Darius Slay, Nevin Lawson, not in that order. Uh, Chris Houston, unfortunately, misses out, but this is not a good cornerback no, obviously Slay was really great and just another after one after Matt Patricia year, you, after after his rookie great. year. But you know, as we've established corners, it takes a while to bed in. And, you know, he, he went like every other rookie cornerback does. He he struggled a bit. And uh, but after that, he was absolutely fine. Nevin Lawson, I always I know I'm probably on the, the more positive side about him. I never had any issues with him. Yes, he had his dodgy plays in him, but again, compared to a lot of these guys, he was a model of consistency in difference to them. So I, I was really happy to put him in there. Um, but again, yeah, it's if you're if you want an old decade team and you're thinking of the caliber of guys you want in there, only Slay's really reaching that ceiling. He's, he's the only one really worthy of it. These guys are best of the rest afterwards. So, yeah, it's, again, a sad situation. Yeah, I mean, Lawson was a liability at times, but he was on the field. There were high hopes for him. There was flashes of good play. There was mediocre play most of the time otherwise. And that's the best cornerback, too, we got right there. I mean, Mathis had bits and pieces, but didn't stick around particularly long. And Houston... It's exactly the same. So we, 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 we never just seem to get a good pair. It's like when Lawson was towards the end, Slay came in, and then we let Slay go and then bought a Cuda in. It's like, why can't we have two good corners at once? It was that part of that process where we just replaced rather than added. Sad. 
sad. But I mean, you can't not replace Slay. I mean, no. if you don't replace Slay, you've gone from one to nil. So it was an absolute. Must. We've not replaced Quinn, and he left even earlier. We've yeah, still not true. replaced Glover. Well, we're going to talk about him in a minute, but we've still not replaced Quinn either. Well, depends if you think Tracy plays in the same position. But anyway, strong safety. We ended up going with Quandre Diggs. There was some discussion about whether he could go in at cornerback. He obviously played the first two and a half seasons at slot cornerback before transitioning into the strong or free safety positions chosen here at strong safety, beating out with Hegbo um, and Tavon Wilson. Fond memories of Quandre Diggs then. Yeah. Yeah, and what happened when he left was just, it was inexcusable. How we forced him out when we didn't need to, and the return we got for him, which was already atrocious, and then we spent it on a player we cut before he even made camp. And it was just like a final slap in the face to us, and you've seen him ball out at Seattle since, and gave himself a big contract, and you're like, yeah, he was ours, he could have been ours, and we've had a problem at safety for years. We'd get Diggs and Walker together, um, we'd have a great safety room now, Kirby Joseph in behind them. <sighs> Just doesn't bear thinking about, it's really sad, but Quandre was always making this team, although I will give honourable mentions to the one, Tavon Wilson was not bad, he was not bad. He was, a, he was a decent player and does not deserve the ridicule yep. some of the others have. It's true. And then at free safety, unanimously, it was Glover Quinn. On the pod, previously, friend of the pod, cerebral guy, considered his words, considered his play on the field. But once he went for it, he went for it. He hit you. He was an absolute man mountain. Maybe not the biggest in stature, but he certainly felt his presence. Locker room leader, ball hawk, the exact type of player that you want on your team, especially when he's at safety. He's right at the back of that defense, surveying the field, spreading his troops out. You know, he's that leader you need right at the back. You need a leader on all three levels of your defense. And Glover Quinn was the leader of the third level. And we have not replaced him to this day. His leadership, his ability has been, has been missed. I think more than a lot of other players we've let go. One of the worst decisions that we have that Patricia ever did was to force him out of here and for us not to replace him. But Glover Quinn was a fantastic player. Absolutely loved the hell out of him. But again, the honourable mentions, Louis Delmar was in here and I felt bad leaving him out because I was a fan of Louis Delmar. I think he was really good. And then, of course, you've got Tracy. Tracy had a great rookie season as well and you, you have to take that into consideration. But the inconsistency since... He's, he's not on a level to Glover just yet. This was yep. this was a pretty clear-cut thing, but the guys behind are good players. 100%. The last position that had any competition at all was Jason Hansen and Matt Prater. Kicker Hansen played between 10, 2010 and 12 in this era, Prater 14 to 20. I went for Prater based on production and longevity in this era, but was outvoted by the other guys for Jason Hansen, obviously the franchise legend, played for us for 20 years and was a consummate professional and a mainstay, one of the best kickers to ever grace a field in any team, in any era of the NFL. Yeah, kind of like Green Bay have had Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers at the quarterback position. We were fortunate enough to have James Hansen and then get Matt Prater, two of the best kickers to ever play at their position. Hey. Jason. Jason Hansen. Sorry, I'm thinking of the Bradford <laughs> City striker from years ago. Um, so, yeah, we, we 
you know, we are blessed to have had two of the best kickers ever. And, you know, they would, they could both easily be on this team very, very, very easily. But I don't know whether you maybe call it a bit of bias towards him. I don't think so. I think James Hansen is still the right call. I think he was here for a lifetime. You have to take the longevity of his Lions, you know, career into account as well because he was here forever. He never left. He's still playing well in the start of the 2010s when he was here. And for me, that just, that just, it's just him a little bit over Prater, but it's not like I felt comfortable doing it. I think this is just one way you pick a name out of a hat and you're happy for me personally. So yeah, we've just been blessed with some great kickers and uh, I will be thankful for that. Jason Hansen taken in the second round of the 1992 draft was third in the voting for offensive rookie of the year in 1992. I know, and since whenever has a kicker been in there again since? <laughs> it was insane. A, it was a ballsy move, but, you know, I know this is a really short part and we'll go on the but, um, you know, the age-old thing, if you knew you had a, if you knew in a draft that you were going to have a clutch kicker who was going to come through and win your playoff games, you pick them in the first or second round because they're worth that pick. You know, it's, it, it's kind of the age-old thing. It's like you pick your kicker in the sixth, but he's going to win you games, if, if he's going to win you an NFC Championship game and you had a crystal ball and his boot's going to win you an NFC Championship game, you'll spend any pick you want on him because that's how valuable it is. Agree to disagree on that, but I would certainly take him higher than the seven, shall we say. Um, he only made two Pro Bowls in his career, which I find a travesty, but there we go. The rest of the guys in this boat, we had Sam Martin unopposed at punter, Don Muleback unopposed at long snapper, Jamal Agnew unopposed at returner. We also considered some other special teams players as well. Well, um, Mule was the only long snapper in that decade. Yeah. We yeah. didn't have another long snapper. <laughs> Are you forgetting the one that we drafted? Hey. Jimmy Landis. Yeah, I am forgetting him. <laughs> Wait, when the hell did we draft a long snapper? Sixth round, twenty. 14? Oh. Um, Jimmy... my, 2014, my 2014 draft knowledge is not... Oh, God, was that the Ebron year? No, sixth round, 2016. 2016? That was the Taylor... No, that was the year yeah, before. Yeah, Taylor, Taylor Decker. Decker. Oh, was that the Taylor, Taylor Decker. Decker year? Yeah. Well, at least we got one good pick that year. I'm pretty sure it was. Yeah, Taylor Decker, 16th overall from Ohio State. There we go. But yeah, special teams, pretty... <laughs> Kickers, you can... Toss a, hat, toss a coin between the rest the self-explanatory indeed right that uh, goes through our all decade teams Stafford Bell Megatron Marvin Jones Kenny Golladay Pettigrew Decker Glasgow Ryola Warford Cherilus on offense defense Sue Fairley Averill Answer Levy, Levy Tulloch Mathis Slay Lawson Diggs Quinn and Special team is Hanson, Martin, Muleback, and Agnew. Next episode on Monday is OTA review and chat, although that might be subject to change. We'll see what happens in the next week or so. But barring nothing else, we're having a look at OTAs and minicamp. And we'll do, of course, a mini pod update for 30 minutes or so to see how we did and make sure it's bite sized for you guys. If you've got any comments on the mini pods, please do let us know. Royal Alliance 1 at gmail.com or you can find us on our 
Twitter pages, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Rural Alliance UK. Don't forget to follow us there or ruralalliance.uk.com. Just remains for me to thank my co-hosts for this one, Anthony Fitzpatrick. My name is Matthew Turner, and we'll see you on Monday. Let's go, Lions. One pride. C'est la vie, Penasini. <laughs>